Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Our scripture this morning is the resurrection story as told in the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter 24, if you're following along. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this morning. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But the words seemed to the apostles an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you just heard this morning, I have the privilege of participating in worship as both pastor and parent of one of the children who was baptized at our nine o'clock service. This is a new role for me. This is my first child, and can I say what a joy it is to be back among you after months away on maternity leave. I've missed you. I have missed running into you during the week as you show up to church for Bible study and committee meetings and community gatherings. I've missed worshiping with you on Sunday morning and visiting you I've missed hearing about how God is showing up in your lives. I've missed knowing about the prayers that are weighing on your hearts. I've missed you. I've missed you because I love you, and I am so glad to be back among you this morning. As I was preparing for worship today and thinking about standing up here as both pastor of this congregation and parent to one of the baptized children, I couldn't help but write a sermon that is equal parts parent and pastor. And so I wrote this sermon as Harris's mom. But I also wrote these words for Ingrid and Josie and Russell and Walter, who were also baptized at our 9 o'clock service And my prayer is that we each may come to find a life-giving word in this sermon. So, a letter to my son on his baptism day. 
Dear Harris, this won't mean much to you today, but one day, maybe a long time from now, you'll dig up this, this letter from the bottom of some random box of papers you're deciding whether to keep or toss and read the things your mom felt like she had to say to you today on your baptism day. Your mom is a preacher, which also doesn't mean much to you today, but you'll learn before long that it means I wear a funny-looking black dress on Sunday mornings and I talk a lot. One day, maybe a long time from now, but maybe not, you'll get antsy with questions about the resurrection. Because one day you'll hear the Easter story yet again, and for some reason you'll be struck maybe for the first time by just how weird this whole story is. You may even pull out a Bible so you can read the words for yourself on the page and just be sure that you haven't been mishearing this story. But when you see the words on the page, your mind will only spin faster Jesus died, you'll think to yourself, and dead people stay dead. And so the only question you'll have to ask is, how in the world can this be true? And son, when you start asking that question, you'll know something about how the apostles felt on that first Easter morning. They simply couldn't believe that it was true either. It seemed to them to be an idle tale, which is the nice biblical way of calling BS. And when you start to question for yourself, if the resurrection is nothing more than an idle tale, chances are your questions will quickly go beyond the Easter story. You'll question all of it. You'll question every last thing about this life of faith. You'll wonder why your parents dragged you to church on Sunday mornings and told you grand stories about a garden and a flood and a lion's den and a whale and a child harpist with a slingshot. You'll wonder why you heard so many stories about a man named Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners, who caused a ruckus when he walked into sanctuaries, who touched the untouchables, who walked on water, and who died but apparently didn't stay dead. You'll wonder why it was so important for your dad to hold you in his arms and walk you forward to receive bread and juice. You'll wonder why church was so important to the people you saw week after week after week in the pews, your church aunties and uncles who kept showing up to teach and to worship and to pray and to sing. Son, you may even wonder if my career is nothing but a fool's errand. And Harris, that's okay. When those thoughts arise, know that you are in good company. If you find this story of resurrection unbelievable, remember so did the people who lived it, and so have faithful Christians ever since. Rarely has my heart known a time without doubts and questions rattling around in the crevices. But Harris, here's what I want you to know when it comes to this life of faith. You could spend your whole life trying to make sense of the resurrection as if it were a problem to solve. You could spend your whole life trying to rationalize the resurrection or transform it into metaphor or do some mental gymnastics to make it seem more plausible, more natural, more believable, but that would be to miss the point. 
Don't walk around this story as if you're pacing the edges of the tomb trying to solve if and how the stone was rolled away and if and how Jesus left the tomb. The resurrection is not a problem to be solved. It is a mystery to be entered. Approach the tomb with eyes wide open and marvel. Rejoice that the stone is gone and Jesus is gone too. As one theologian I admire puts it, the gospel is not a natural therefore. The gospel is a miraculous nevertheless. God gave his only son, nevertheless, he raised him from the dead. Jesus died, nevertheless, he rose again. It's not natural. It's unexpected and unexplainable, and it can't be solved no matter how hard you try because it is a mystery. It is the mystery, and it is the mystery that will save your life. Because, son, the resurrection of Jesus is not a story of patiently waiting and watching a natural phenomenon as if we're watching flowers to blossom after winter's cold has left. The story of the resurrection is about the power of God to act decisively and miraculously to open the tombs of our lives. And you're going to need to remember this, Harris, because you'll need a miraculous nevertheless. Maybe not today, but one day. There will come a time in your life when you'll need to know that nevertheless, God loves you, and that nevertheless, God will act decisively to open the tombs of your life. This world is brutal, and one day you'll find yourself entombed. As your mother, I wish I could spare you of this. As your pastor, I wish I could spare all of you of this, but the unfortunate reality is I can't. I can only warn you of it and love you through it. And I don't know what tombs will hold you captive, son, but there will be something. Someone you love won't love you back. You'll take a job that seems perfect on paper only to discover that it makes you miserable. You'll be rejected by the one school or the one employer you've set your heart on. The marriage will end. Depression will cloud your joy. You'll wake up one day only to realize that the money you've worked so hard for doesn't make you feel any less hollow inside. The diagnosis will come without any warning. You'll stand at the graveside as you bury someone you love. Your finances will keep you up at night with anxiety. You'll find yourself parent to a child with problems you are powerless to fix. Harris, I hate imagining that one day you might face any of these things. As your mom, I want to protect you. But because I am human, and because you are too, I know that there will be no shortage of things in your life that surround you like boulders. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in a tomb, surrounded by darkness, unable to see a way out. And you may be tempted to let yourself believe that there is no way out. You may convince yourself that being in a tomb can mean only one thing, that your life is over. Tombs always mean death, you may think to yourself. And just when you want to let yourself believe that, I want you to hold fast to the promise of the resurrection. 
because the good news of the resurrection is also the good news of your baptism. And son, with your baptism this morning, we proclaim that your life is marked by the gift of God's miraculous, nevertheless, even and especially when you find yourself in a tomb. No matter how dark, how damp, how putrid it gets, there is no tomb that God won't unseal. There is no stone so large that it can't be rolled away. There is no life beyond God's invitation. And you know, Harris, the congregation that made baptismal vows to you this morning, they know something about this promise. This congregation is full of people who know what it's like to feel trapped in a tomb. They've battled depression and anxiety and addictions. They've buried parents and spouses and children. They've known financial insecurity. They've known the sorrows of desperately wanting to become parents and being unable to. They've been rejected and brought down to their knees. They've known the despair of being unable to help their children. They've known the anxiety of counting down the days with loved ones after the diagnosis comes. They've known the feeling of boulders surrounding them and darkness taking over. And nevertheless, God loved them. Nevertheless, God rolled away the stones, unsealing their tombs of grief and insecurity and addiction and loneliness. Son, this is a congregation of people who have met the living Christ, and they made a promise to remind you of God's miraculous nevertheless. Nevertheless, I want you to remember this word, Harris. Nevertheless, God loves you. Nevertheless, God brings something as miraculous as resurrection out of something as horrifying as crucifixion. Nevertheless, God unseals the tomb. Nevertheless, life gets the final word. Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. Remember this word, Harris. Remember it when the bottom drops out. Remember it when darkness clouds your sight. Remember it when you've been brought down to your knees. Remember it long after I'm gone and can't remind you myself. Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. I hope we all remember that word because the promise isn't just for Harris. That promise is for all of us. Nevertheless. So church, when the bottom drops out, what's the one word we're all going to remember? When darkness clouds our sight, what's the one word we'll remember? When we find ourselves brought down to our knees, what's the word? Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. God brings something as miraculous as resurrection out of something as horrifying as crucifixion, which means that the last word on today is not death, divorce, or loneliness. The last word on today is life. In fact, the last word on every day is life. That is the promise of the resurrection. So my son, when the questions creep in and this Easter story feels unbelievable, Remember God's miraculous nevertheless. You can question and doubt all of it. 
And nevertheless, God loves you still. Nevertheless, 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 God loves you. And I love you too, Mom. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.